The makers of epic pure sunflower oil, purine and pret cooking fat, yum yum peanut butter, maple margarine and niblet's cheese twists present the epic casebook. In which Inspector Carr investigates. Good evening. Unfortunately, one reads all too often of cases of death by drowning, mostly accidental, but there are on record other cases of drowning which are far from accidental. Murder, in fact. The cases that readily come to mind are Thomas Joseph Davidson, George Joseph Smith, and Ronald John Chesney. Murders in the bath, all of them. But I have details of another case in my file, a most unusual affair. It was almost the perfect murder. Almost. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in a position to tell you the story tonight. A story I called The Rapture of Death. My story begins one morning when I was summoned to the commissioner's office. Good morning, Inspector. Good morning, sir. Come in and sit down. Thank you, sir. Does the name Nigel Prentice ring a bell with you? Prentice. Prentice. Oh, yes, that's the skin-diving chap. Drowned at Plymouth last month. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Last week, they held the inquest. The verdict was death by misadventure. Uh, Well, we're obviously involved. Otherwise, you wouldn't have sent for me. But I'm afraid I don't see how, sir. Well, I'll put you in the picture. At the time of Prentice's death, a report about it appeared in the papers, but the details are very scanty, for a very good reason. Uh-huh. Prentice was an expert skin diver. He was the director of a business which was concerned in the manufacture of aqualungs. They were angling for an admiralty contract. I see. When Prentice died, he was in the process of demonstrating some equipment. The firm had perfected uh, some of the admiralty top brass. Mm-hmm. You can imagine their reaction when Prentice drowned in the process. Uh, he was one of three directors. The other two are also skin divers. You've probably seen them on television. Peter and Helen Selby. Oh, yes, I know. Undersea archaeology. Adventures with sharks, that sort of thing. Yes, well, they're coming to see you this morning. Apparently, they're not satisfied with the coroner's verdict. Uh, Peter Selby spoke to me on the telephone. Fears they want a full investigation by the police, see? Uh, but why? Well, that's what I'm hoping they'll tell me. I want you here because I want you to be fully acquainted with the facts. If I do decide to accede to their request, um, you'll be in charge of the investigation. Yes? Oh, good. Well, send them in. The service? Yes. Hmm. Uh, would you mind if I chip in from time to time, sir, and ask a few questions? Oh, no, no, not at all. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Selby, sir. Good morning. Mm-hmm. Good morning. Come in. Come Thank in. Uh, this is Inspector Carr. How do you do, Inspector? How do you do, Inspector? Uh, please sit down. Now, Mr. Selby. Well, I told you briefly on the phone that the purpose of our visit to you is the result of the inquest. Yes. The verdict was death by misadventure. That's just not possible. Nigel was one of the most experienced aqualungers in the world. Our company, Sub Aqua Limited, perfected a new aqualung. 
During the time you were working on it, nearly two years, by the way, it was constantly used and tested by Nigel. He was a sort of test pilot. I see. When we were completely satisfied that the lung was foolproof, we arranged a demonstration for the people at Plymouth. Now, as you know, poor Nigel died. But he couldn't have died the way the verdict implies. He just couldn't have drowned. For two reasons. A, that the equipment was perfect, and B, he was too experienced. And since the accident, both Peter and I have used the equipment ourselves. There was nothing wrong with it, nothing at all. The reason we're making such a fuss is because the government contract we were after involves some 25,000 sets. That's an awful lot of money to us. And I'm anxious to remove the stain that our lung has now got. A reputation it doesn't deserve one little bit. I see. And understand. But why wait until after the inquest before coming to the police? Well, you can imagine how shocked we were when Nigel died. We looked such fools. And I had to test the lung before I could be certain. Mr. Selby, isn't it possible that you would all pin too much faith in the lung? No. I know what you're thinking. That something unforeseen went wrong. But if that was the case, we could have found out what was ever wrong with it when we tested it ourselves subsequently. I really don't see that this is a case for the police. Unless, of course, you suspect foul play. What other explanation could there be? Well, if a man drowns, he drowns. Therefore, the verdict is correct. But they presumed that he drowned. They didn't hold a post-mortem. But he was in the water alone. How else could he have died if he didn't drown? Well, that's a good question, Carr. I don't know much about aqualunging and such things, but I've heard tell of rupture of the spleen, and there are instances of divers going too deep and suffering nitrogen intoxication. Am I right about that? Yes. Yes, it's just like having too much alcohol. There's an overpowering urge to shout. One becomes oblivious of danger. One tears the mouthpiece from between one's teeth. Couldn't that have happened to Mr. Francis? No. He wasn't working in deep water at all. I've tested the lung at greater depth than Nigel was working at. Then what else could it be? We don't know. We've racked our brains a thousand times trying to find the answer. I have such faith in the equipment. Even after what has happened. This business could be the end of Subaqua. And I know it's not the fault of the lung. Well, under what circumstances did you find Mr. Prentice's body? Well, we knew he had sufficient air for a certain length of time. The Admiralty officials set him certain tasks. I thought he was taking an awful long time to do them, and I got worried. Yes, in, in fact, we went out in a boat to look for him. His air supply couldn't have lasted that long, you see. And I knew he must be in trouble. He was floating on the surface, obviously dead. The officials were very sympathetic, but of course it was obvious how they felt about the equipment. We spent the night in Plymouth, but we had to be in London the next day. The three of us, of Peter, Frank Anderson and myself, all drove back together. Anderson? He's a friend of Peter's. In competition with us, really... He has a similar business. What was he doing in Plymouth? Well, he was very interested in our land. He had to lift down, and I promised him a lift back with us. Uh, well, Mr. Selby, I well understand your distress. You've lost a friend, and a government contract worth thousands of pounds. Well, you know, you've told me nothing that warrants an exhumation and post-mortem, but I'm very impressed by your sincerity. We can do nothing until we have the findings of the post-mortem. Thank you very much indeed, Commissioner. With that, the Selby's left and the Commissioner made the necessary arrangements. The job was over and done with within three days. In fact, it was on the afternoon of the third day that I was once more called to the Commissioner's office. Now, just listen to this car. Yes. The Home Office's report, pathology that is, on Nigel Prentice. I won't read it all, just relevant facts. Thank you, sir. Uh, 
Yeah, we were surprised to find no evidence at all of small internal bronchial hemorrhages. When a person drowns, these occur due to a lack of air. It can only be concluded, and we are guessing, that the subject died after being subjected to a hyper-concentration of oxygen. We understand that oxygen is not used in aqualungs. For expiration, divers rely on compressed air. Well... What do you make of that? Oh, but surely they wouldn't be foolish enough to fill the lungs' tanks with oxygen? Could that have happened accidentally? Mm. Or even deliberately? Mm. So the Thelbys are right. I think we'd better get them in and tell them the results. Very well, I'll arrange it for you. You know, we should have realized this before. Of course he didn't drown. If he had, they wouldn't have found him floating on the surface. Right. His lungs would have been filled with water, and the weights, I presume he was carrying, would have taken him to the bottom of Plymouth Harbour. But I don't understand. Can't you think? Even a beginner knows that you don't use oxygen. You filled the tanks yourself, Peter. And you certainly didn't use oxygen. Could the tanks that you prepared for the dive have been replaced by other tanks? They could have, but I don't... Supposing somebody wanted to do away with Nigel Prentice, all they had to do was substitute a couple of tanks. Would you be able to tell the difference just by looking at them? No, no, they're all the same color and size. Yellow. Would Nigel Prentice have known the difference once he started breathing? No. Both compressed air and oxygen are odorless and tasteless. You say that you have just one type of tank, standard size and color. That's right. For both compressed air and oxygen. We never use oxygen in aqualung tanks. See. Tell me, do you know of anyone with a grudge against this Prentice? No, I don't. Did he get on with your employees? Yes, he did. One or two resented his funny manner. Uh, Mr. Andrews, for one. Mr. Andrews? He's our manager in the workshop. Did they have words? Sometimes. Were they bitter quarrels? Oh, they were nothing. You know how tempers get frayed when things won't go right or when you're trying to meet a deadline. Yes, yes. You filled the tanks that Prentice was to use, Mr. Selby? I did. I supervised everything. I didn't want to leave anything to chance. And you used compressed air? Yes. Did anybody see you filling those tanks? Hmm. Well, no, no, I was alone at the time. I see. Good heavens. You're not implying that... At this stage, I'm not implying anything, just asking questions. When you had filled what did you do to them? And how many were there? There were four. I filled them to the correct pressures and then put them in the boot of the car for the next day, the journey down to Plymouth. When did you fill them? Early in the morning. Was it generally known how you would... The equipment? Yes, of course. I had no reason to keep the fact a secret. And was your car left unattended after you had put the cylinders in the boot? Well, yes. For most of the day and all of that night. Hmm. Was the boot locked? No. Then someone, as yet some person unknown, could have removed the cylinders of air and replaced them with cylinders of oxygen. Yes. Yes, they could. It couldn't have happened accidentally, could it? How? I could see that it wasn't going to be easy. Such a long time had elapsed between the death of Nigel Prentice and the start of our investigation. If it was murder, and it looked very much like it, then the murderer had had plenty of time to cover his tracks, supply himself with an alibi, and cast suspicion elsewhere. It was a tough one, all right. But I like them. They constitute a challenge. 
I decided to visit the factory there and then. I took a car and followed the Selby's to the factory in Camden Town. I filled the cylinders from this compressor here and then put them straight into the car. I see. I should think they took up most of the room in the boat. Everything just fits in. The car's a bit small, but we've got no family, just Helen and me. We don't need more than two seats. Besides, we've got a thing about sports cars. When you put the tanks in the boat, what did you do with the car? Left it here until about... Oh, it turned five o'clock. And sometime during the day, you went back and loaded the rest of the equipment? Yes. I don't suppose you noticed whether the cylinders had been moved or not. No, I'm afraid not. I never thought about it. And if your cylinders of air had been replaced, you wouldn't have known. Because all of them are yellow. That's right. Look, uh, can we move into your office, Mr. Selby, where it's quieter? factory all day? Yes, I was. And you, Mrs. Selby? Yes, Inspector, I was. It was quite an occasion getting ready for the demonstration. It meant a lot to us, and, well, we were very excited. As a matter of fact, we went out to celebrate that Who's night. Who's we? Peter, Nigel, and myself. Uh, did you go in your car? No, no, we have a flat above the shop in Knightsbridge. We went to the Magambo. It's just around the corner from us. And you left the car where? At the back of the shop. Hmm. Do you keep oxygen on the premises here? Yes. What's it used for? Well, different processes of manufacture. Is there any at the shop in Knightsbridge? No. Yes, there is, darling. It's been there ever since we opened. Oh, yes, of course. That's right. I've been meaning to have them pick it up. It's only in the way. Is it a full cylinder? Well, it was, yes. You see, it's been here a long time, and some of these industrial cylinders leak. And we've had no occasion to test the pressure. And your car was parked at the back of the shop all night? Yes. Where did Mr. Prentice live? Well, he had a flat in South Kensington. We picked him up in the morning and drove down together. So whoever wanted to tamper with the cylinders had plenty of opportunity to do so. I suppose so, yes. I'm just beginning to realize that you're conducting an investigation of murder. That's right, Mrs. Selby. Horrible. Which means that Nigel Prentice's killer is somewhere around, on the loose for the moment. Tell me... Have any of your employees left since Mr. Prentice's death? No, we've still got the same stuff. Well, I think it's safe to say that whoever tampered with those cylinders had a very good knowledge of skin diving or aqua-lunging. That narrows the field down a bit, doesn't it? Yes, I suppose it does. If it helps, I could find a motive. Is your business a profitable one? Yes, indeed. It's coming into its own in a big way. The sport is getting more and more popular all the time. And, of course, that means a growing demand for equipment. I see. So the company pays handsomely to the shareholders. Well, with Nigel gone, that just leaves Helen and myself. Does it indeed? So you are better off than ever. Unless, of course, his shares have gone to some relative. Nigel had no relative. Lady friend, perhaps? As far as we know, Nigel was unattached. Isn't that so, Helen? Yes, he was far too wrapped up in his work. Then what's the position? Oh, I don't know. It's a little awkward. If Helen and I bought the shares, the proceeds of the sale would go into his estate. But he didn't leave a will. I don't know the law in that regard, but it's... It's going to make a nice legal tangle. Yeah, so summing it up, or putting it bluntly, it looks as though you and your wife benefit a great deal from his death. Yes, I suppose you could look at it like that. 
I wonder if I could use this office here to speak to Mr. Andrews, your manager. By all means. Sergeant Jackson. Yes, up. Fine, Mr. Andrews, the workshop manager. Bring him here. Wise up. Oh, come in, Mr. Andrews. I understand you won't see me, Inspector. Yes, that's right. Sit down. Oh. I'm investigating the death of Nigel Prentice. Oh. Did you like him, Mr. Andrews? He was all right. That's not what I asked you. I suppose you've been told about the little tips we have from time to time. That's right, I have. But I'd like you to tell me about them. Well, frankly, Inspector, I, I didn't have much time for Nigel Prentice. He wasn't my sort. We seem to rub each other up the wrong way. Why? I suppose you've heard about the fact that I've been with Mr. and Mrs. Selby since the early days. As a matter of fact, he and I were in the Navy together. That's how we started in this business. Go on. And I suppose you heard how disappointed I was when the company was floated and a third of the shares was given to a complete stranger. Nigel Prentice. Who else? But you know all this. You policemen are very clever. Thank you, Mr. Andrews, but I hate to disillusion you. I knew nothing of what you've just told me. Oh. But you were clever enough to let me go on. Of course. So you felt aggrieved that Mr. Prentice had taken your place in the business? Hmm? Well, I felt justified. I've worked harder for this business than he has. What was your reaction when you heard he was dead? Oh, shocked. It was so sudden and unexpected. Was it, Mr. Andrews? Yes. We tested the gear for hour after hour. It was the last thing we could have expected, that he would drown. Oh, he drowned, did he? Uh, that's right. Death by misadventure. You seem very well acquainted with the circumstances surrounding Mr. Prentice's death. You seem to have taken an extraordinary interest. Not really, Inspector. I was extremely interested in the development of the new lung. I was appalled when it didn't work. Did you hate Mr. Prentice? Well, Mr. Andrews? There was no love lost to him. Because you felt he had what should have been yours? I've never been able to hide my true feelings, so let's start now. I was very hurt when Mr. Selby and his wife took him, Mr. Prentice. I resented it a great deal. And did that resentment grow big enough for you to seek revenge? Revenge? What are you talking about? Did you know that oxygen, pure oxygen, can kill a man if it's in his aqualung equipment? Yes. Any fool knows that. I didn't know, but it is generally known in this line of business, isn't it? What are you getting at? Mr. Prentice did not drown. He was subjected to a hyper-concentration of oxygen. How? Someone, Mr. Andrews, tampered with the cylinders used in that fatal demonstration. Well, I know nothing about that. Are you sure? Are you sure that you weren't seeking a double revenge? Revenge which you could have had by killing Nigel Prentice and crippling Peter Selby's business by making him look a fool before the Admiralty officials? You can't talk to me like Sorry that. Sorry if I've hurt your delicate feelings, but I'm investigating a fiendish murder, not a game of Ring of Roses. Well, it wasn't me, and you can't prove it was. Uh, you're quite right. I can't. Well, can I go now? For the time being, yes. Thank you. Oh, just one other thing. Yes? How did Mr. Prentice get on with the Selbys? Frankly, that's none of my business. The Selbys have been good to me. You can still say that, in spite of your being disappointed at not being taken into the business? Yes. All right. What do you know about a man called Frank Anderson? He's our chief competitor. Opened up in opposition. Was there competition between Sub Aqua and Mr. Anderson's business? Well, of course. Fierce competition? <laughs> no, it was on a friendly basis. There's enough work to go around. But there aren't many admiralty contracts floating around for 25,000 aqualungs, are there? 
You remember the day before the demonstration? Yes. Was Mr. Anderson there when they were getting the equipment ready? Well, um, yes, he was. Doing what? Oh, he was chaffing us, but very good-naturedly. I see. Well, Mr. Andrews, I'd like to see every member of the staff, one at a time, in here. arranged for me to interview the staff. It took me the best part of the day, questions and answers, seeking that vital clue. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, I know where the oxygen is. So does everybody what works here. Popular at all. Nobody misses him, that's for sure. He was ever so sarcastic. Had a tongue like a whiplash. Something of a ladies' man at that hotel. Don't ever saw him with one. Right, send the next one in. And so it went on, question after question. I was getting nowhere except two facts emerged. Nigel Prentice was far from popular, and he was something of a ladies' man. I turned that over in my mind until I was dizzy. It was getting on for four o'clock by the time I finished. I decided to visit the premises of Frank Anderson, Saab Aqua's competitor. And, Mr. Anderson, you were in Plymouth to see the demonstration yourself. I was. Did you have cause to touch any of the equipment at any time? No. Uh, why should I? Are you trying to say that I knew anything about the oxygen in those tanks? <clears throat> Would you be so kind as to tell me how you came across that piece of information? I know what you're thinking, Inspector, but you're wrong. It is common knowledge that you've been a sub-actor all day questioning the staff. It's amazing how people talk, isn't it, Inspector? Yes. Yes, it is indeed. So you were there all day, you stayed the night in Plymouth, and you travelled back to London with the Selbys. Hmm? Yes, sitting cramped up in the back of that wretched sports car. Huh? Anything wrong, Inspector? What a fool I've been, what a blind fool. So, do you mind if I use your telephone? No, help yourself. Scotland Yard, car speaking. I want to take out a warrant for the arrest of Helen Selby for the murder of Nigel Prentice. I was right. She did it. And for a very good reason. She had been indiscreet with Prentice, and he had threatened to tell her husband. She couldn't have risked that because it would have threatened her security. All this came out in the confession she made after her arrest. Yes, she destroyed Prentice cunningly, fiendishly. Well, listeners, did you spot the clue that pointed to Mrs. Selby? Do you remember when the Selbys were in the commissioner's office and they were talking about their being in Plymouth? I promised Frank Anderson a lift back to London. It was only a two-seater, a sports car with room for one passenger cramped into the dicky seat. 
three people had driven down to Plymouth, Helen, Peter, and Prentice. How could she have offered Anderson a lift back to town if she didn't know that the dicky seat would be vacant? A silly slip, wasn't it? But it was enough to prevent her from getting away with an almost perfect murder. And the moral of my story? Giving someone else oxygen at the wrong time may deprive you of your supply permanently. Good night. The Epic Tastebook was produced by Michael Silver for the makers of Epic Pure Sunflower Oil, Maple Margarine, Yum Yum Peanut Butter, and Niblet Cheese Twists, with Hugh Ruff as Inspector Carr. Listen again next Thursday night at 9.30 to another exciting story from our Epic Casebook. Book.